0: Right. Well, as we're speaking of uh, the birth of Christ and uh, the the advent, come down to Bethlehem. There are many of us who just came back from Ibex too. So our Ibexers are back. Uh, so make sure this is uh, this is a hug and Ibexer day. So if you see an Ibexer, uh, make sure to uh, to hug them and welcome them back. Um, so. Uh, so we're so glad to have you back and back safely. Uh, and one day maybe I'll get to go. I've I never been. Can you believe that? I know. I know. I'm like separate. You know. It's like oh, you haven't been. You don't understand. You still reach your in black and white.
1: But one day I'll get there. And
0: I'm uh, glad to see you guys back. I'm excited to have you here. You know, it is. Uh, this is a very. Um, this is a very special time. I do. I do enjoy the Christmas season. Uh, it's a wonderful time. Uh, I think. Uh, it really is surrounded by just the, uh, the warmth um, and the wonderful reflection upon Christ and His birth. It just is—it's uh, uh, probably uh, the Keller family a kind of favorite time of year. Uh, if you really do enjoy spending time and focus around Advent and uh, really um, drawing our hearts together to to Christ's first coming and then waiting again for His second, and so. It's an exciting time. It really is, and there are just some um, there are some peculiarities to, to Christmas that always kind of stands out to me. I don't know if, if you notice these things as well, but uh, one of them that really stands out to me is that how Southern California pretends that it's a winter wonderland. Does everybody ever notice that? It's just it's uh, we all kind of suspend reality for a little bit. Uh, we kind of pretend, uh, and then especially when it gets cold, like 60, you know, we all bundle up. Uh, we wear you know the the Ugg boots and the scarves are everywhere, uh, and it's just, uh, it's a time where we all kind of um, want to, uh, want it in Southern California to be that white Christmas, and, uh, which is kind of the quintessential uh, picture of the Christmas season. Uh, one of the other things, maybe on a little bit more of a, of a serious note, one of the things that stands out to me, too, is, um, is how everybody talks about uh, peace, Joy, not just believers within the church, but everywhere. You know, you, you watch the the tree lighting, uh, the tree lighting at our uh, at our nation's capital, or if uh, you see uh, specials that are on TV, and people who who do not know Christ are are claiming uh, peace and that this is a time of peace and of joy. And, uh, it really does stand out to me. It, it just it it highlights to me. That the real peace that comes is the peace that comes through Christ. That when we sing and we um, celebrate peace and joy, that that is because of the advent of Christ, who is the Prince of Peace and has come uh, to take those who have been separated and to join them together in unity and to make wholeness. And so uh, there is that peace that I think that people long for during this season, and it really is... Uh, only through uh, only through the peace of knowing Christ, that that sort of experience can actually happen. Remember, if you will, Ephesians. Remember Ephesians 2 that just speaks of uh, the the beautiful um, gospel, and and it speaks of how that there was nothing that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and Christ had come, and that it renewed us. And the second half of that chapter. In chapter 2, 14 through 22, it states that, that Christ came and he came and he brought people who are far off. And he brought them together, brought them together making peace because he himself is our peace. And that we can be united together, uh, even those who are far off, and he brought all together under himself. And now we are able to experience that kind of u- unity and peace among one another it really is it really is that transformed life isn't it that it is the transformed life of of Christ the gospel the having our hearts being transformed and renewed in the newness of life that comes in Christ Jesus that gives us not only peace with God but also peace with one another gives us the opportunity then to have that love of Christ controlling us as it mentions in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and following. That that it's that peace, it's that love, it's the work of the gospel which then compels me to love and to care for others. That's interesting, isn't it? As we kind of wrap up uh, 2016, I think we're gonna look back onto our history books and to see that 2016 in our nation was probably one of the ones that was least characterized by peace and unity as a matter of fact it's probably one of the most um, one of the most uh, times of unrest and tension that we've had nationally whether it be um, on every side whether that be um, religiously culturally, biologically economically ethnically it just seemed that in every turn, This year, that the world around us uh, has not championed peace, but in this season, that's what they're calling for. But yet, it just becomes very evident to me, and in Christmas is past, but certainly in this Christmas season and present, as we wrap up this year, that it's the high call that what actually is true peace, and we have to recognize that true peace and true unity that. Being together as one can only happen because of, and in, and through, Jesus Christ. This is the capacity not to think of ourselves anymore, but to think of others. And so it was was that real thinking that kind of compelled me to to draw us to a text, a, a familiar text but to move into a text and to reflect a little bit on how this renewed life in Christ transforms how we relate to other people. And that we can actually look and practice and to enjoy that kind of transformed and renewed life and relationships here, as well as within our families and in our churches. To the glory of God and to our joy. And so I thought that it would be uh, it would be very fitting for us to reflect upon that as we move into a time of, uh, of seeing God's work on display as we celebrate this season. Uh, let's think about how that in Christness transforms how we see ourselves and in turn how we care for others. So open your Bible, then to Colossians 3. That's where we're going to be spending our time today is... Uh, is in this uh, very familiar passage of Scripture. And as you get there, just by way of reminder, you remember that Paul wrote these, uh, this letter in conjunction with uh, Philemon and Ephesians. So you can see echoes as you read Ephesians and Philemon and Colossians. They all really read very similar to one another. As a matter of fact, this Sunday was just reminded that, uh, that some actually say that when the ink was being dried on one of the parchments that Paul began to... The next, and he really wrote this letter to the church in Colossae to be able to to address some heresies that had moved into the church. As Paul's in prison there, that he got news that the the people were being swayed away uh, from some heresies. And this heresy was really what what would develop later, and we would know as Gnosticism, that that Christ, that Christ in the work of Christ is is separate, is separate from the world, that's separate from, uh, from in some ways, the the earthiness of this world, but rather he's separate. And he can't be accessed, that's some sort of mystical experience that, that floats above reality. And Paul says that's absolutely not true but that the person and the work and the transformative renewal in the heart of the believer (laughs) dictates and transforms your everyday life. And so he writes writes this letter, and and you will find that in Colossians, it's it's one of the most christological books ever, because whenever it comes to a false doctrine, whenever it comes to any sort of heresy that would be untrue world, the way that you would combat any heresy is a right and accurate Christology. Because it is for him and from him and through him and to him are all things, that being Christ, and and we can see that here. And so, as you kind of reflect upon that, let's let's think again, you can see these things uh, throughout the book of Colossians. Colossians 1, 15 through 22 proclaims the preeminence of Christ and how in verse 21 you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Uh, he, is, he is now reconciled in his body and the flesh in his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. You can look later on, you can look later on into, uh, into chapter the chapter 2, where it states in 2 and verse 6 that. Um, That, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, so walk in him, rooted up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, all the way through uh, verse 15, where it says that Christ has forgiven all of our trespasses, and he canceled all of our debt because of his work and his preeminence. And then moving into chapter 3, starting there in verse 1, if you then have been raised with Christ Seeing the things that are above, which are Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, that are that are above, not on the things that are in the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When you and when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. That everything is surrounding around Christ and who He is and how that works and in renewal into our hearts. And you can see there at the beginning of this chapter that it's both our past that we've been raised with Christ, our present, setting your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ as God in God. And then also in the future, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory, past, present, future, that your life is in Christ. So what I want to do now is just jump into a verse that's right in the center point of this chapter, and um, and to and to work from that center point to work out and to give some instruction and then some practical application as to how this renewed life really does transform how we relate to one another and it has direct application to our days here at the university as well as our days. That So let us then read the text that we will be uh, looking at this morning, starting in the second half of verse 9 in chapter 3, moving right into the middle of this chapter. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator here There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all, and in all. And so reads the very words of our living God to us this morning. But Let us pray now and ask him for our help as we look into this text a little bit farther. Lord, we stop here for a moment and just ask that you would, by the power of your spirit, illuminate your word, and that your word would move fast and into our souls as we see ourselves rightly before Christ and to understand how that is how that is applicable and moves into the lives of those around us. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us now, and that you would give us this insight to your honor and glory and to our joy. And so we pray these things now. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Amen. So, for the remainder of our time, let's look at this. What does our renewed life? How does our renewed life in Christ transform how we relate to others? Okay, let's look at that. And the first one is our renewed life in Christ, and you can see that here in the text. It's uh, it really is the center point, uh, the center point of the whole chapter. And it moves outward. And you can see there that the verbal idea the verbal idea, is, is to understand how, how the renewing, transformative work of Christ practically reveals itself. This little section here of putting off the old self and putting on the new self uh, really is the, the principle of transformation in Christ and the wholeness of life. It's a participle. Uh, it shows that there was one act of putting off the old self. The verbal idea is that of, of clothing that you would wear, right? That you would take off, that you would move off the old self. Well, what is the old self? Well, the old self is what's described in Ephesians 4.22. That's, uh, that's the old self that belongs to, to your former manner of life. It's, it's everything that's corrupt. It's deceitful desires, it's what in Romans 6 that Christ has come to, to remove our slavery from. It is those things, the, the, the wickedness and the old self of our unredeemed humanity. That is our old self. And it says there uh, to put off. Uh, it's, it's really making reference to everything before it, right? That it says, because or since. You have put off the old self, therefore, therefore, you are not to do the things that are preceding, which is, uh, which is to uh, sexual morality, impurity, evil desires, covetousness, and things that you once walked. Not to, not to, um, to put away. Excuse me. To put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Why? Why? What's what's the command? The command to put to death. That command stands in an indicative or a why. And the why is because you've put off the old self. This old self that comes in the moment of regeneration and trust and faith in Jesus Christ, that the effectual work of that means that the old self has been put away. Romans 6 says that it has no longer dominion over you, that you're no longer a master to it, you're no longer a slave to it, but rather you are renewed. One of the most beautiful chapters in all the Bible is Romans 6. The beauty of Romans 6 is to say, "Because of the work of Christ, He died, I died, He rose, I rose." And what that means is, is that I am no longer enslaved to my own old self. I'm not. But that, transformatively, I had the ability, then, to live differently. The ability to live differently, first and foremost, is that you're not enslaved to your own self. You don't have to. You don't have to. Isn't that a remarkable thing? That before Christ Jesus, you had no other capacity other than to be enslaved to your old self. But the renewed life of Jesus Christ gives us the capacity to actually, to put off, because the old self has been put off, now we have the opportunity, the place, the joy to be able to put off the deeds of the flesh. Because Christ has But it's not just the one act of putting off the old self, but it also talks about putting on the new self, right? That's the the other thing, you take off one, and then you need to put on another. And and the putting on the other is the putting on of the new self. In the moment of the transformative work of the newness of Christ in your life, you put off the old self. The old self has been put off of you, and a new self has been put on. And this defines the renewness in the person of Christ. This is the concept that's that's put in 2 second, second Corinthians 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. He is a new creation. Galatians 6, Galatians 6.15 also communicates this, this same idea. Galatians six fifteen says this: For there is neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. But a new creation. John three five through seven says that we've actually been born again. Do we? Do you see the language of that? There is an old self that has been put aside, and now there is a new self. There's an old way and person that has been crucified with Christ. And now it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. That's a paradigm shifting thought. And it becomes the context by which all the commands come out of in this particular chapter. We can't make, we, we can't look at Colossians 3 and say, well, you have to not do this and do this, not do this and do this. Because if not, then it becomes this big long list that nobody can fulfill. Have you ever felt that, looking at Colossians 3? It's like, oh, I, I gotta put off, I gotta put off all the, I gotta have my best day ever all the time. Rather, Paul says, right, you actually get the opportunity and the place to express what's already true you can and pursue putting to death the deeds of the flesh and in turn you can put on put on the works of the spirit in the deeds of putting on love compassion meekness patience So we want to to make sure right on the forefront that the call to put on and the call to put on and the call to put to death is not a list of to-dos, but rather is a call to live who you actually are. And one of our major problems, I think, is that you forget who you are when you start acting like you used to be. And it doesn't fit right. It doesn't feel right. And you put on things, you're putting on clothes that don't fit you anymore and you're, and, you're, and you're acting in a way that's not according to the old, that's according to the old self and not according to the new. But rather, we have the great joy because we have put off the old self, excuse me, because the old self has been put off in Christ and the new self has been put on in Christ. Now we have the opportunity to express that. You want to look at this from a from a different vantage point. You can see that in Ephesians in Ephesians four, Ephesians four, you can see this four seventeen through twenty four. Speaking of this this contrast of putting off the old and putting on the new, that being embedded in. Christ, verse 20, but that is not the way that you learn Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and you were taught in in him as the truth is in Jesus. put Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness The the beauty of putting on and the new self that's been given to us is that it's not stagnant but it's being renewed look at your text back at Colossians 3 Colossians 3 then looking in verse 10 having put on the new self which is being renewed being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. We belong to Christ, and his image is being renewed in our hearts. That as the new self has been given to us, that there is a perpetual progress of seeing that newness continuing to be revealed and renewed in our hearts. And that's what it speaks of there. It says that we're being transformed into the image of our creator, renewed in the knowledge after the image of our creator. That means that there is this renewing, this progression that comes as we know and experience Jesus Christ. It's It's really the prayer that Paul prayed in Colossians 1.10. He said, So that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing every good fruit and work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's it's the same kind of commitment that's in in Romans 8.29, that you've been predestined to be conformed into the image of Christ. It's the same idea that's in Romans 12, Romans 12, that we are to be transformed, not to be conformed to this world. Or rather be transformed through the renewing of your mind. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that with all unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree to another. 2 Corinthians 4.16 shows that same idea for, for though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. There is a confidence that in Philippians 1, six, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That it's true that the new self, the new self is being renewed into the image of our creator, that being Jesus Christ, and he's revealed himself, and our hearts and minds are renewed as we know and move into the deep knowledge of God as is revealed in scripture. Again, you got to remember, the church of Colossae, they were... They're saying that, that, no, you can't access that. No, you can't know those things. No, that's something that's distant. But rather here, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit himself, says, look, you can be, and you are being renewed, specifically through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and you will be like him in the image of your creator. Why? Because you've been created that way. Genesis as 127 says that you've been created in the image of God. And the commitment that God has in redeeming you is restoring and renewing you for you to display that image. And that image, according to this text, is Jesus Christ. Having put off the old self, put to death these things, having put on the new self, now it changes everything. Our renewed life in Christ is our identity. Our renewed life in Christ, the progressive work of being more like the image of our creator, that newness in Christ is our identity. How I see myself, how I see the world around me. What makes you, you? Is that you have been redeemed. And that you've the new self and have put off the old in and through and because of Jesus Christ. It changes everything. It changes everything. Literally new birth, new creation, kind of changing everything. That I no longer see the world through my old self. It's being renewed it's being transformed and it changes how we see each other it changes how i see myself and that moves into the next verse here here verse 11 here that being the place that we're talking about here in christ here the renewing of being in Jesus Christ after the image of our creator. That here-ness, as it were. There is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. You can see a similar um, Similar phrases found in other parts of the New Testament, specifically Galatians 3, 28 and Ephesians 4, 17, and following. And, and each one kind of mentions it a little bit of a different way. Galatians 3, 28 actually includes there's n- neither male nor female. Okay. But what it says here is that here that there's that there's none of these things. And 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 you begin to start thinking a little bit, you say, wait a minute. What's the goal here? Because uh, it begins to confront. If my identity is in Jesus Christ, the first question that comes to my mind is, then what has identified me before? What defined me before? And here in this passage, and it's proclaiming in others that are related on, is that humanity naturally wants to establish and promote themselves uh, according to what distinguishes them from Naturally, people do that. They see themselves. It it moves into accordance of of ones that are like me that I gather together. Things that I can do, things that I can be, that's what I see myself as being and identify myself. But this list here confronts that, doesn't it? Says that our renewed life together is established and defined and united in Christ, and and not by any other distinction, but rather in Christ. Now again, I think this list kind of directly addresses not just the common distinctions in the people in Colossae, but, but rather are categorically what any people in any time have always tried to identify themselves with, right? Religious. Distinction, cultural distinction, social distinction, economic distinction, ethnic distinction. Humanity wants to define itself in those visible ways. Yet, Christ supersedes all those. Because here, those distinctions don't exist. But Christ is all. What are we talking about when we speak of that, right? Well, you can look there in the list, and it speaks of those different distinctions. The ethnic distinction, the Greek and the Jew, obviously. Again, that that anyone who wasn't a Jew was a Greek, and that was an ethnic distinction that was very clear. Religious distinction, circumcised, uncircumcised, to show the piety or lack thereof was was determined by the visible expressions of religious obedience, and and therefore, if you were distinguished from one or another religiously, it was because of those external visible signs. Cultural, barbarian and Scythian, it's really fascinating, but, but as the Jews distinguished them from the Greeks, the Greeks distinguished them from the barbarians. The barbarians were ones that were not as cultured as the Greeks. They, they lived more in tribal areas, that they, that they used a language that wasn't refined. But, but even their, their, um, their word, the Greek description of their word barbarian, kind of illuminates the way that the Greeks viewed them in terms of how they actually talked. And the barbarians, they want to be distinct as well from the Scythians who were even more tribal, or more or less refined. And obviously the socioeconomic distinctions of slave and free, seeing that there was a different classification that people would see each other as being, as being not like them, distinguished from them. natural to ask that question? Isn't it very natural to to say what is it that makes me me? What can I identify with? That defines me? That sets a context for the world around me. So my culture. Is so my social status? Is so my religious piety? <laughs> my my ethnicity? All of those distinctions are real. They're real. That we're not homogenous as a people. We're not indistinct or, or one unilateral, visible expression. There are distinctions. Those qualities are real, but they're secondary to my identity in Christ. that here, that being Christ, that my ultimate identity is found in Christ, and any sort of distinctions that I might have before in the old self might have made to the level of deity, now submit to my God. Say that those expressions are different. How can we say that? If you look at the second half there, verse 11, it says this. But Christ is all, and in all. He is everything. He is supra-cultural. He is supra-economical, ethically, culturally, that he's up and above and over all, for from him and through him and to him are all things, because he is the creator and the image thereof. And it shapes everything. It changes everything. It changes how I, how I see myself, how I see others, how I see the world around me. That Christ is all and everything is in and through him and my new life is captured and identified in him. And therefore, therefore, <coughs> there, I am more like someone. This passage is not stating that we should be blind to these distinctions. That somehow that they don't exist, they do exist, but they don't super eclipse or dominate over our identity in Christ. It is upon the reality The renewed life in Christ that gives us the capacity, the life-changing new selfness to be able to relate to others, not on a secondary means, but on a primary identity means of what it means to be in Jesus Christ. Because if the distinctions were as powerful as the world says they are, then there's no way to find peace because one will always lobby itself over the other. One will always find itself distinct from the other. And the only way that that is removed, the only way to have unity and real peace is to submit to one king and one God, who then by his graciousness renews our hearts. Gives us the ability not to see that anymore. Gives us the ability to move towards others. Gives us the ability to know and to see others as the people of God, not by the sum total of their distinctions, but rather the sum total of who they are in Christ, which then is expressed through their distinction. What unifies us is not our distinctions, but our union with Christ. Therefore, our renewedness in Christ transforms the expressions of those distinctions into worship of our great God who is sovereign and creative and on display. It gives us the ability not to promote the distinctions Not to promote the created thing, but to promote the creator who then in worship can see and express and enjoy the diversity and the distinction of God's created order. Sure, got that job, thanks, right? Yeah, great, sounds great, got it, perfect. Sounds good, check the box, sounds good, I'm gonna go, right? How do you do that? How do you live that out? How do you walk in that way? How do you you actually express that? Because naturally inside of us, we want to divide and be distinct on other things that aren't in Christ. So therefore, if if Christ is our identity and there is no distinction that we should exalt to the level of worship, but rather worship our God and pursue expression in the body of Christ that is distinct, how do you do that? Because it's hard. It's hard. It's challenging. It's not an easy get. It's not just instantly, once you're in Christ and you put on the new self, that instantly, instantly you, you can relate to everybody. And that the identities that you saw as so important instantly go away. It's more challenging than that, isn't it? But yet there's hope that out of the indicative of our new self, out of the newness newness in Jesus Christ, that we have the ability then to relate to others differently. So seeing that context, the two two indicatives of we have have our old self that's been put off and our new self that's been put on, the put off then says we don't have to relate to to others in malice and slander. And now we can put on. So there are three expressions I want you to see, category in the remaining verses that follow. Look, there are three there, verse 12, there are three, and I want you to see them. How then, okay, how then, practically, how practically does our union with Christ and the renewness therein transform how we relate to other people? How does that happen practically? By putting on on these three categorical things. First and foremost, Secondly, edifying. Thirdly, celebrating. Okay? The first one is understanding. and You can see there in verse 12, our eyes back on the task. Put on, then, as Christ's chosen ones, holy and dearly beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing up with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive forgive do you hear that understanding the call to move towards others the call to live out your renewed life in Christ that has that has as its center point Jesus Christ not distinctions as you live as you live and move within those secondary distinctions how do you do that first and foremost you do that in an understanding You have to understand that there are things that people experience that are different than you. And people aren't a rough sketch or a highlight. They're they're intricate and they have experiences and there are things that have impacted them that maybe you have never experienced in your life but you, you lean towards them, you move towards them with compassionate hearts. Why? Because you recognize that you are more like one another than not like one another. I am a person in need of God's grace and in the process of change, and you are a person in need of Christ and in the process of change. We are more like one another than we are not like one another. And that understanding breeds compassion and kindness it actually overlooks it overlooks when, when there has been uh, there has been an offense and also moves in and speaks the truth when there has been sin the humility to forgive someone when sinned against not seeking personal restitution for impersonal injustices to be understanding to recognize that that this person might not might not understand your situation and, and might be bumping into spaces that are unfamiliar. And and you can bear up with those immaturities, but you can also address sin and wrongdoing. We have the capacity to live with other live with others in an understanding way because we understand that we all sit equally at the foot of the cross. But it takes patience. Do you see that there? It takes patience to rely upon the work and the, the work in our common union in Christ to be able to allow us to move towards the image of our Creator, and that takes time. Doesn't it take time in your heart? Can you allow someone else to help shape you? that the transformative work of how we can relate to one another is interpersonal, it's understanding, it's trying not to speak at each other, but to each other. And you can't do that if you don't understand. And to recognize that someone might have a different vantage point than you. But you have the same God. You have the same Spirit inside of you. You have the same capacity to be able to move towards one another, not for selfish gain, but out of the compelling love of Christ. So we can do that. We can do that practically. So the first step, just practically, how do you live out this renewed life? And how does it transform your relationships? Is to ask yourself Am I pursuing my friends in an understanding way? If you don't know, ask your friend. Am I living with you in an understanding life? Do you feel like I know you? Do you feel like I hear you? These things of patience and kindness and and compassion, is, is that how that defines and to be able to give your friend the chance to speak? The second one here is edifying. Now, listen, if you just stay in understanding, right? If you just stay in understanding, and then you need to move into edifying, that, that you need to live things out, you need to communicate, you need to move towards, and first and foremost, it says that the communication happens above all these things. What does it mean to edify someone is to love them, to love them. If you want to edify someone, if you want to help them to move towards Christlikeness, you want to help them to be renewed into the image of the creator, if you want to relate to them in a way that reflects your transformness, do it in love. Care for them. Think outside of yourself and to move towards them without any sort of self-gain, knowing that you have been given so much by God and the capacity to love him then translates into your love for others. It's transformative. You want to know what transforms relationships and friendships is the fact that when you move towards me, I can't explain it any other way but that you love Jesus. Do you remember when somebody did that for you? Do you remember when somebody moved towards you in self-sacrifice and love, and there was no other agenda other than the fact that they are expressing their oneness in Christ and want to communicate that to you? Does that, in the end, you don't celebrate your friend, you celebrate your God, which is why it binds us together in unity. The only reason we love each other is because of God and Christ and the new self and the new creation, and my identity is there. That's why I move towards you. It certainly isn't anything that's in my heart. And that proclaims the gospel, it edifies, it moves us towards one another. So, as much as much as uh, as we desire these things, we want to be committed to them but it moves out of our hearts. 1 Corinthians 5.14 says that. It's the love of Christ that compels me, nothing else. If you have a hard time loving others, ask your God for help. The practical steps, then, of valuing others and seeing others' needs as more important than yourself, that this this is the model that's been given in Philippians 2. It says, look, if you have any unity of spirit, think of others as more important than yourself. Why? Because that's what Christ did. You have the capacity to do that. Not out of your own. And there's edification here. There's truth speaking, isn't there? And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ. Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Let's not let um, worldly philosophies or rhetoric or ideologies shape our thinking. Don't read and buy into the press that is surrounding you, but rather let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, which will give you the opportunity to be renewed and transformed in the way that you see yourself and in the way that you relate to others. First and foremost, when you're understanding, you're asking your friends for help. You're saying, "You're saying, excuse me, you're asking, God, help me, help me to understand, help me to know. Here in edification, you're saying, can you help? Can you help me? First and foremost, saying, God, help me to understand. I want to be the posture of a learner. I want, to, I want to be compassionate and kindness. Help me. And secondly, saying, will you help me? The way that we help one another is that we go to the word of God together. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that is what you encourage others with. In wisdom, And you sing songs together, and you sing hymns together, and you sing spiritual songs together with thanksgiving in your heart, singing that this is our anthem. It is the word of God and nothing less. Let us sing those hymns with one another. Let us sing our praises with one another. And the praises of our God comes in and through his word, which says that I put off the old self and the new self has come. Now my identity is in him, and I can live differently. to God for our instruction in prayer. And then let us look to one another to encourage and to live accordingly. And not allowing anything else to supersede it. Do you hear the hymns and the That word dwelling in you richly. The last one there is celebrate. Celebrate. How do you express this oneness in Christ and as that transforms your relationships is then to celebrate. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It means this, that The diversity and the expression and the creativity of our God can be seen. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait until Revelation 7 for every tribe, tongue, and nation to give worship to our God. But that we can see through the distinctions and the differentness of everything, culture and economics and status and sociability and and ethnicity, all of those things, as those things are experienced and pursued under the lordship of Christ, we can celebrate them. Do you really think that the only way to worship God is the way that you do? Do you really think that the only way to experience and to know and to celebrate and to worship your God is through the experience and the lens and the distinction by which you will only know? Has our God not created all things and for all those things to give worship and praise to him? The horribleness of this world is when, is when the world worships itself and it worships the created thing and not the creator. Can we not let all things, whether word or deed, to be done in the name of Jesus Christ and to pursue those things and to enjoy them? To do it with thanksgiving? To do it with joy? And doing that in praise and glory to our God God. And isn't that the real challenge? To be able to move in and to see Christ at work in the body of Christ. We have the capacity to do that. To see without distinction, Greek, Jew, slave, free, barbarian, Scythian, male, female, to be able then to have our identity in Christ then get expressed through how God has made you and then in your words and our deeds that we can give glory and honor and praise to our God which shows a unity that is beyond the visible distinction but rather unites our hearts together in Christ Jesus who is That's why there can never be peace in the world. That's why there can never be global harmony. That's why there is at restness. Because people are trying to relate to one another and to barter distinctions. But yet we have the capacity and the newness of life to be able to live and to see Christ in all. And then to live differently. In understanding with one another. and In identification with one another. And in celebrating and worshipping our God with one another. The world desperately longs for that. And that is why, my dear friends, that John 13, 34, and 35 is so haunting in this regard. That people will know that you are disciples of Jesus Christ by how you love and treat one another. For it is in that cross distinction expression brings honor and praise to our unity in Christ. And that is the peace that is promised by the incarnation of our God and Jesus Christ. Let this word, move into our hearts and think. Now I know there's a lot to unpack. It's a lot to digest. Again, if you want to talk more about these things, I'm in a little farmhouse at the bottom of the Hotchkiss steps and would love to chat you have resident directors who live with you. And we're there to help you to think and to cultivate an environment that is like this. You have staff members here that are here. Your faculty are here. Invite and to engage and to have these kinds of conversations as to what does that look like between you and me. Because as we live with it in this way, we will live it corporately and proclaim it to the world. Might we live accordingly? Praise and honor to our God. Let's stand together in the closing word of prayer. Our God, we stand before you, and we ask that you would help us even now to see what life is like in the new self that you have given to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would Give us insight as we have conversation and we look upon your word and in our own hearts and that we would seek, O Lord, by the work of your spirit to live accordingly. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us now. And even as we move into this time of season of celebrating and of looking towards our peace, might we practice that peace by how we care for one another that's transformed through this renewness of life. And so now, my dear friends, may the peace of God, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us, which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ.